This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is a supplemental edition of the All Access Star Trek podcast. We are talking today about a new audio drama called Star Trek Picard No Man's Land. It's written by Kirsten Beyer and Mike Johnson, and we interviewed them. So we're going to talk about the audio drama, give you our review, and then we're going to roll in our interview with the two writers. What's great about this, besides the fact that Kirsten is one of the co-creators of Picard, so this is certainly canon adjacent, but in addition, the voice acting cast is really strong, led by Michelle Hurd, playing Rafi, of course, and Jerry Ryan playing Seven. This is a Rafi and Seven adventure. And then there's also a strong supporting cast to one of whom is a Star Trek actor, Fred Tatascori, but he's actually playing a Romulan because he's could do all sorts of voices. He's a great voice actor. And just so you could get your mind around it, the audio adventure is set a few weeks after the end of Star Trek Picard season one. And this will be actually before there's a, there's an upcoming novel by Una McCormick called second self. That's going to be a lot about Rafi that comes out in May. And this is before that, this is how everything fits in as it were. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the setting. I would say like, it's not an audiobook. Like I, you know, just so people don't get confused. It's a full on scripted drama with no narrator. So it's dialogue, sound effects, music, and some pretty good storytelling. I listen to a lot of audiobooks and audio dramas. And, uh, you know, I love this genre, as it were. And they really take advantage of the fact that this is an audio drama. There's characters in this and things in this that I think only work as an audio drama. They didn't just kind of take an audiobook or even a, even a regular episode of Picard as a concept and say, let's turn this into an audio drama. It's definitely crafted to work within this genre. And I think very well, it, it's, it's roughly about an episode's worth of material, even though it runs over an hour, it feels almost like about an episode of Picard, maybe a little more. I would agree with that. And you know, the interesting thing for me is unlike you, I don't listen to audiobooks, despite working at audible um, and I don't, which is terrible. Reminds me of when I worked for MTV in the 90s and wasn't really a fan of most of the music. Um, <laughs> but um, so this was my first audio drama. And I was concerned that I would not really be able to get into it. And I didn't need to be concerned because I really I got hooked and I was picturing it all. And there's a nice freedom to an audio drama because you can really embellish with your own visuals. Because it is audio, the characters are often doing a lot of exposition. And sometimes it's a little like extra where they have to like describe like, oh, look, he's handcuffed, you know, behind his head. You know, so you get the idea after a fight scene, like what the final result is because you can't see it. You kind of have to do that for this. But I think that it's fairly seamless. I didn't have moments where I felt, you know, sort of, I don't want to say pander to because that's extreme, but where I was being too, too spoon fed. I didn't feel that way. It's hard to describe what this is. It's it, it's an adventure. It's got a lot of action in it. There's, you know, sci-fi space action. Um, you know, there's a battle with a Romulan warbird, but it's also a romantic story on a couple of different levels as well. Not just Rafi and Seven, but there's this other romance done through flashbacks through a different character you know so it's a very sweet story i felt all of this it is it is and i also i really liked the way they handled seven and rafi's relationship 
I thought that there, you know, a lot of, look, I don't think Star Trek has traditionally been good at romance. I think that a lot of times they fall back on sort of cheesy dialogue and things. I mean, I'm talking about the whole franchise. Um, but I think in this case, they really nailed it and they nailed the way that they are talking to each other and the pieces of themselves they're revealing to each other. And the whole thing opens with a conversation between the two of them that kind of puts you right where they are in their relationship in a very realistic and engaging way. They have great chemistry. They did in season one of Picard. And in a way, their behind the scenes relationship where they became friends is what inspired the romance to be interjected into that last scene in the last episode where it was almost just a hint. Right. Blink and you miss it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> this audio drama gives you a little more insight into how they got together and both of their backstories, their romantic backstories, Seven's kind of extreme lack of a romance. Well, she has some. I mean, she she talks about it and she has some. You know, they've both been through some pretty heavy stuff. I mean, it, you tend to think that Seven's is bigger, which I do think because, you know, being assimilated and all. But there are two people who definitely come with a lot of baggage and a lot of not wanting their baggage. And I think you, yeah, you come to a better understanding of both of these characters for sure and their baggage and Seven's simmering anger. Yeah. Which we saw a lot of in season one of Picard. And you feel like you understand that more after you go through this audio adventure. I would totally agree with that. And I like that they don't, that she acknowledges her background. And that is a big reason for her anger. And in addition to those two, who I, who really sell, I mean, they really sold it. Those two actresses brought everything to the performance, but it's really helped along by some great new characters that are introduced here. We haven't seen them before. Um, and they're so vivid and have such strong personalities and quirks. It was just really, really well done. There's one in particular named Hiro, who I just found. It's funny because we we're talking about what species he was and we both had different ideas about that. But he was such a strong character from the first minute that he starts talking. And then this other one called Deet. I was going to say Little. I somehow picture Deet as Little. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> and definitely very alien. Yes, very alien. You know, the, the actors who perform these are you know, very strong and they you definitely get a good visual on these even though you never see them. And again, both of the characters were developed for an audio drama. So they both have particular ways of speaking. Um, you know, we're going to get into minor spoilers here, you know, but Hiro uh, doesn't believe in the universal translator. So he teaches himself different languages, but he's kind of misses certain words all the time. Right. So he doesn't get it quite right, which becomes <laughs> a good, fun, ongoing thing with him and Rafi. And Deet, just half the books, uh, you know, speaks in this just really unique, weird alien language, but you kind of get what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you get a sweetness. You get a sense that he's sweet. Absolutely. So both of these characters are from Seven's past in the Fenris Rangers. And you know, the Fenris Rangers were this interesting, but yet 
mysterious element introduced into season one of Picard. I was like, well, what is a Fenris Ranger? And I feel like I have a much better grasp. I mean, not a complete grasp, but definitely a better grasp of what the Fenris Rangers are as an organization. And it's kind of now clear that you you can't even use the word organization for them. They're, they're right. very as a disorganization essentially through these characters and through seven and the way they talk about how they work together. This isn't the kind of the full on seven Fenris Rangers backstory we want. Um, Cause I think they're maybe saving that. Right. I mean, right. The big seven story I want is really post Voyager pre Fenris Rangers, but yeah, you won't get any of that. Yeah. Cause I just never kind of got or understood what the Fenris Rangers were. I think now I do. Yep, I think I have a better... I think I thought of them somehow as more organized before right. before we heard, listened to this. And now you get a, a, just a sense... You get a sense of what drives them and what's important to them, but also that it's kind of, you know, makeshift. So the story, without getting into too much of a spoiler here, is Seven and Rafi... You know, this all starts off where Seven and Rafi are just kind of hanging out at... Rafi's place. In uh, Vasquez was, Rocks. Yeah. <laughs> and then these Fenris Rangers, these two Fenris Rangers show up and, you know, and basically say, oh, you know, we've got to, you know, go save these people. And it's related to a mission that they did years before. And now there's this, you know, angry Romulan played by Fred, who does shacks on lower decks. But here he's a, a Romulan who's decided he's the emperor now. Um, apparently lots of Romulans have decided they're the emperor after the destruction of Romulus and he's, so he's yet another one of these kind of warlord kind of guys. And, you know, this, this planet's a danger and they've got to go deal with that. Um, and then we go there and we meet even more interesting new characters. Um, and then it kind of goes off onto uh, an additional adventure where everyone's kind of chasing after this particular MacGuffin. Right. It doesn't matter what it is, but it, it turns into a kind of a, a chase, basically, who can get to it first and what it's about. And and it is an interesting sci-fi story, which I liked. It's very Star Trek. What I liked is that they were able to weave in the personal stuff and it, without distracting, but just very seamlessly and naturally weaving it in so that's part of the action and part of moving the story forward, but provides a nice backbone for it. I will say that the villain, and this isn't a performance issue, to me, he wasn't the most interesting. He was the least interesting person. Um, yeah, he was kind of your one and a half dimensional yeah. bad bad guys. You know, he was power hungry and a megalomaniac, but he would be like overly polite to people at one time and then extremely brutal the next minute. We've kind of seen this before a million yeah. times. There wasn't anything particularly special about his character or his needs or his plans yeah i would say but it doesn't matter like it didn't actually uh hamper my enjoyment of the whole thing at all but there was this interesting character this professor galen which is not the professor not the picard professor uh, a different one similar name but different right uh, an alien character he was reminiscent of a lot of different star trek characters i thought in my mind um you know, I thought he was a very interesting character and it's his kind of backstory and history that I think is, is this kind of other romantic element that in a way helps teach seven how people can love because she's just not good at it. Right. Well, she's, you know, not had good 
outcomes. <laughs> right. He's extremely old. They're not, there's no, just to make it clear, there's no Professor Galen 7 love story. It's more. Right. Is it Gillen? I think it's Gillen. Gillen? Gillen. Yeah. Yeah. Not Gillen. Not Galen Gillen. Yeah. Right. Um, you say Galen, I say, yeah, no. not <laughs> Gilligan either, but no. Yeah. He, he definitely felt like a, a pretty familiar Star Trek character, like definitely, you know, drew from characters that we've seen over the years, I think. But that was, I thought a helpful shortcut almost like, okay, I have a sense of who this guy is pretty. Cool. Right. You get a little bit of Professor Galen and Kevin Uxbridge, a little yep. of uh, the Joel Gray character, from Voyager, all thrown in a blender. Yeah, with like a twist of originality. But but pulling from good types, like those were all strong characters that everybody remembers. There's yet another character in this. It's not really a character, but it may be my favorite character in this whole thing, which, you know, so, you know, spoiler alert, it's not a big deal. But there's the computer on this ship. At one point, Rafi is trying to query a computer, but for some reason... The only interface is a Klingon interface, so uh, she has to deal with a computer that is very Klingon, and it, and it's 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 unique in how a Klingon computer would talk to people. It is, and it's I I when you hear it, you're like, I can't believe nobody did this before because <laughs> exactly. it's so good. Like, and again, not something that would work in a in a book, but would work on a show, and was just really I I was shocked that it hadn't been done before once I heard it because it was so smart and funny. If you know, if you're getting this book to get a sense of what's going on in season two of Picard, I think, I mean, there's certainly some hints, I think fact that the season definitely doesn't pick up right afterwards, which we've gotten from the trailers already, but they do sort of tee it up in a little bit of a way. They end season one where everyone's on the bridge and what are we going to And you almost env envisioned, oh, they're going to go off and have some adventure together. <laughs> you know, that did not happen. They all went their separate ways, kind of, except for these two who stayed together. Yeah. So they talk about Picard himself and he's back at his chateau and, you know, Rios gets name dropped. Maybe some of the other characters get name dropped. You know, elements of season one you know, get name dropped as well. They talk about the big battle at the end and, you know, how significant that was and what impact that had on people in Starfleet. And and they mention like Rafi's history, her husband and all of that. This is definitely does what a good tie-in does, which is it doesn't, you know, spoil anything, but you you know, it just kind of connects everything well. So when you start watching season two, I think, you know, it will be enriched through this. And certainly the end kind of gives you a hint as to where Rafi is headed. Yep. And where Seven is headed, where they're both of these characters are headed. And where we will see them at the beginning of season two of Picard. Right. But even separate from all that, I think it's really enjoyable, just all on its own. And the two lead characters really carry it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you shouldn't get this just to kind of get clues. Uh, you know, you should get it to enjoy it. You know, I was so impressed with these extra characters. I was kind of hoping that we'll see more of them. So that's something we'll talk about with the authors. Because, I mean, that's how good and interesting these extra characters were beyond Seven and Rafi. Right. Like, as you're listening, you're just hoping that they're going to turn up and that you're going to get to see them. So to you know, kind of finish things up on some of the details of the book. So No Man's Land, an original audio drama, is available at Audible, of course, and Google Play and stuff. The runtime is one hour and 39 minutes. The retail price is 
$19.99. I've seen on Google Play for $15. That's kind of the thing of, you know, do we recommend this or not? I mean, I very much enjoyed it. Is it worth $15? You know, or it's it's worth, um, if you're an Audible member, you, it's it costs you one of your credits for a month. I think it is. I recommend Star Trek Picard, No Man's Land. What about you, Lori? Yeah, I think I would recommend it. And it's a, like I said, it's a surprise for me because it's not a format that I tend to enjoy. And I was definitely nervous that I was going to keep losing track or be bored or something like that because it's just not my – I listen to a lot of podcasts, but those are always conversations. But I thought that this – like if they – let me put it this way. If they do another one, I'm definitely going to want it. <laughs> based on this one so uh, to me that's enough that's a that's a selling point right there yeah i mean i'm really happy this happened i very much hope that this is the beginning uh, of a, a whole series of audio adventures not just picard but all the shows right god i just kill for a lower decks thing to get those guys oh my god you know because they could like you know let them just go nuts and you know improvise and just that might that would just be hilarious. Yeah, I agree. But I but there's so much opportunity even to just take two character like what they did here was take two characters, and that was definitely enough. You know, like that they could do that. There's so many different Star Trek shows that they could do that with. For sure. For sure. All right, so let's bring on our special guests and talk to them about the audio adventure they wrote. We're now welcoming the authors of Star Trek Picard No Man's Land, Kirsten Beyer, who's also a co-creator and writer on the show, and Mike Johnson, who comics fans will know has written all the great Star Trek comics for the last decade. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. What a great introduction. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thanks for coming, guys. We want to start just by telling us how the project came about. Like, did someone come to you? Did you pitch it? How did it yeah. begin? Simon and Schuster actually approached me, I want to say almost three years ago, um, while we were still working on season one of Picard, to say that they were really excited about getting into um, this new format with audio dramas. And they wanted Star Trek Picard to be the first one that they did for Star Trek. So... We talked about it for a long time and um, it we needed to sort of wait until season two got started because we knew we were going to be, the story was going to bridge between seasons one and two. We had, we had settled very early on on the idea of a seven of nine story and then a Raffi story um, uh, just because it felt like one of those things that was going to be perfect for tie-in material. We weren't sure how much the series itself was going to get to go deep with things like the Fenris Rangers and, um, you know, uh, any of that stuff. So, uh, so we sort of zeroed in on that and then it really took about two and a half years to get the story, uh, and then the script to a place where we were ready to record. The seven Rafi relationship came as a surprise to a lot of people. And we heard stories that it happened because of a photograph of the two actresses. Like, is that, is that really what happened or was that something you guys had planned? Well, so I wasn't um, on set when they were shooting the final episodes. I So I don't know exactly how it came out of the conversations that were happening during the shooting of those last couple. I think it had a lot to do with the chemistry that the two actors felt and that the, you know, director, writer, producers felt um, between those characters and that, that that would be an exciting area to explore. But the end of season one felt like the beginning of the story. So it was really a matter of, what was going to happen in season two that was going to determine 
what story we would be able to tell. Do you see this as a romance, as a love story, in a sense, this this audio drama between Seven and Rafi? I mean, not in the sense that I think we traditionally talk about romances where, you know, um, two people meet, they have strong feelings for each other, maybe they go through some struggles and then it ultimately works out. Um, I think this is more of... There is definitely a romance, but these are two people who have a lot of history and um, are basically exploring whether or not a relationship is possible at this point in their lives, uh, which I think is a much more interesting journey than one where the ending is a foregone conclusion, you know? But I think it's also very true to where these people are in their lives, you know, they've both had plenty of relationships um, that have gone in different directions. You know, Rafi's character um, has a son, uh, was married to Gabe's father for a while. That clearly didn't work out. We don't know all the details around it. Um, you know, people will tend to think of Seven's early romantic history uh, on Voyager, but then there was 20 years, you know, and we get hints in season one um, of, you know, other things that might have happened there. But we don't, we haven't got a lot of the details filled in. We just know by the time we meet her that she is a very different person 20 years later. Um, so, you know, beginning to unpack that in relationship with someone else, um, I think is a pretty exciting thing to do as a storyteller. We talked to James Swallow a while ago who had talked about sort of Seven's ranger backstory and how there'd been some talks of ho- uh, maybe holding off on doing certain things with her because they might do it in the show. So is that something that you, do you feel like there's more coming or do do you feel like you covered that background? You mean within the audio drama? I mean, sort of Seven's story. Like, did that fill in that gap or is there more perhaps in other audio dramas and other, and shows and books? And As someone who has done, worked in tie-in stuff now for, I guess, almost 20 years, I think there's tons of fertile ground for many different kinds of uh, stories to explore. I mean, you're talking about 20 years. You know, we tried to cover 20 years of Picard in Una's novel, Last Best Hope, which hit a lot of the important points and certainly the ones that were significant for the show. But yeah, I mean, with, with characters and a universe like this, when you've got that kind of a time gap, there's always stories to be told. I know I was jonesing for a Fenris Rangers comic book. Like it's kind of totally suited to like, you know, the further adventures of in lieu of a Fenris Rangers show, having a serialized story would be, would be great. So I think just taking the Rangers alone, there's so much room for room to play there. And and one of the, one of the fun things about doing this audiobook was getting to introduce Ranger characters and showing that they're not just like a monolith, but they're actually each individuals in their own right. I loved those characters, by the way, like, Hiro and Deet were so much fun to listen to. Did you guys get inspiration for those characters from anything specific? Those two in particular really came from Kirsten. I think I know when it came to Deet, well, when it came to both of them, actually, there was definitely uh, an intention to add some comedy to the uh, to the story and a lighter touch. Um, Seven and Raffi's story is so emotional and um, inherently dramatic not that they don't have funny moments themselves in the story. They do. 
But we also wanted to have, as I think is traditional with Star Trek, there's always that those those characters that bring a lighter touch to the story. So those two in particular were a way uh, not only to do that, but also, again, to show that the Fenris Rangers are not some sort of super serious monolith of inter- interstellar justice or something, but it's full of quirky characters in their own right. So... Yeah, they were really fun to write and really fun to actually play with on an audio sense by giving them their own distinct voices. Deet, of course, well, I don't want to spoil it, but I I can say that Deet speaks his own particular language. Um, (laughs) Those were ways to give the story flavor and character, not visually, because that was the the trickiest part, was not relying on, um, say, alien makeup to convey that a character is not human. But how do we, how do you do that through sound and through voice? So those two characters are an opportunity for that, really. Yeah, it does seem like both those two, and we love the Klingon computer, of course. Yeah. It seemed like they were born out of what can we do with audio? Because yeah. I was thinking, would any of these have worked in a print novel or in a comic book? And I, I'm not sure any of them really would have worked. So was that right. how you approached it? That's a great point. Yeah, exactly. So with the Klingon computer, you wouldn't get the same impact. Say if you did it in a comic, you could have sort of different lettering for the Klingon and, you know, the actual dialogue would be the same, but it wouldn't have the impact of hearing uh, a crazy Klingon computer yelling at you. So (laughs) those are definitely the tricks that, we had to learn, but had fun playing with to tell a story through uh, sound only sound and voice. Was Gillen inspired? Cause I know Kristen, you're a huge Voyager person. Obviously I got a lot of the Joel gray Calum character from Gillum along with some uh, like Evan Oxbridge and stuff, you know, was, did you have any specific inspirations for that character? Or is it just kind of out of the blue? I mean, for me, he was really kind of out of the blue. He was largely crafted to help, pull stuff out of seven and Rafi, the idea of this ideal relationship. And I feel like Mike and I had a lot of conversations in the early days about how would you actually characterize that kind of love between two people that went on for so long. And I remember Mike, I think sort of hitting on the idea of it's these tiny moments that you remember. It's these things that um, stay with you, but they don't seem significant. You know, it's not the big anniversary or the big, birthday it's the picture you drink tea out of it and that felt very true and also kind of new and then kirsten had the brilliant idea to have these letters in the story that are a way of conveying both necessary exposition but more importantly the emotion uh behind the professor's love story with his wife and the letters are by their nature someone reading them out loud um are perfectly suited to audio and were a great device to also, especially when you hear Seven begin to read the letters herself, is a really elegant way to convey that the letters are beginning to affect her and her perception of not only the professor, but her relationship with Rafi. Yeah, that was one of the exciting things about thinking about the audio format period was that you can get away with stuff like that on television. You'd never hear any of that. 
you you might see a shot of it and maybe see a little bit of the wording, but you could never, people wouldn't sit still for that. You guys have both done so much work in Star Trek, but what is different when you're writing for pure audio that's different from the way you do it for a comic, for a novel, for the show? I mean, really, at the beginning, it was just building a story with your eyes closed, imagining that it's only going to be clear based on what are you hearing? What can I hear? What's out there? What are the possibilities? Certainly, like when I'm writing a script, I never think about music. Like you'll think about sounds and things that will have to be there, but you're always so focused on what you're going to see. And this time around, almost from the very beginning, I I was very conscious of the fact that music was going to play a huge part of it in terms of threading this thing together, uh, kind of thematically and emotionally. Um, You know, but it's not a, it wasn't either, it wasn't always going to be there either. I mean, it was just kind of a, it, it felt like we were just using different tools in a weird way and trying to maximize them. But having never done it before, it was also kind of like a shot in the dark. Like, I think this would sound cool, but will it, you know? And we have to say, like, hearing the final product, we we kind of knew the music and the sound effects were going to be important, but they are the art direction and the special effects that that really um, bring it to life beyond just the dialogue. So that was, you know, the team working on it just did an amazing job bringing it to life. So looking at uh, Hyro and Deet and, and, and the Klingon computer and even Professor Galen, I'm wondering, you know, these are great characters. I want to see more of them. So is it possible that some of the elements, these characters or elements of these could find their way into seasons two or three of Picard? Or is this a closed universe? You mean for the television series? Yeah. Yeah. No, huh? This, is, this was its own story set separate from the show. And those characters were created uh, specifically to help us take this journey with Seven and Rafi. You know, some of them I could certainly imagine going deeper into those stories and other tie-ins, but uh, not specifically to the show, no. You know, you work on the show. This is always the awkward question of canon. I mean, Mike and I dealt with this back with the, you know, Star Trek comics tied into the movies. If you are a creator of the show and you are, you know, how canon is this thing? I would say this is an interesting case because we always said if it's on TV or film, it's Canon. And if it's not, I always thought it's Canon until it's contradicted by TV or film. (laughs) But in this case, you've got the actresses from the show. You've got, it feels like it's, um, I don't want to say it's more canon than like the comics or novels because I never wanted to say that. But it's just, it's an interesting case. It's an interesting case in the great canon discussion. The short answer is yes, it's absolutely canon. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, obviously I understand people's fascination with uh, and desire to understand canon. I have always been perfectly happy with the explanation that it's everything that's on film uh, animated or live action, because it's simply a way of narrowing the scope of what you have to deal with in terms of your stories. Right. Um, Because as tie in creators, we are required to um, be consistent with Canon as much as humanly possible. And um, so keeping that, you know, 
definition sort of narrow helps us as storytellers. That said, I don't know that stories are more or less important depending on their status as canon. For my money, if it's a story that you enjoy, whether or not it can be made to be absolutely consistent with everything else you've ever seen or heard, I don't think that changes its value. I think that the thing we're striving for in every format that we're working in is excellent storytelling. So I'm really less concerned the more I do this with whether or not any of it is canon. I just want them all to be great stories, you know? That's a great point of view. But you would say it's that this is informed by season two because obviously season two is not going to pick up, like sometimes Star Trek seasons pick up immediately after. But we, we're getting a sense that at least Seven and Rafi are having their own adventure, that there's some time here. So that's you're, you're somewhat informed by where season two is going to start off these characters. Would you correct. say that's correct? Yeah. If you've listened to this, you're not going to be surprised at all where season two begins. I mean, you don't have any specifics, but um, it's kind of a soft lead in to where you find everybody. You're not going to like listen to this and go, wait a minute, none of that tracks. Like it all tracks. I actually wanted to ask, and I want to ask this in a way that doesn't spoil things for people who haven't listened yet. But there's a point where Rafi tells Seven about someone in Starfleet, let's just say, who helped out the Rangers and says, I'm not going to tell you who it is. So it's like a two part question. And part one is, is that going to pay off at some point on the show? And then I'm going to ask if it's Janeway. (laughs) The answer is no. Is that maybe going to be in some other, in a book or in another audio drama, maybe? Let's be honest. Where Kirsten goes, Janeway, Janeway often follows. I had to fight her off. I mean, some of what we're wrestling with is that multiple shows are now dealing with these characters. Yeah. So. (laughs) You think? (laughs) It's not really within my control to say, here's what you guys should do. Because even if it would help other stories or other things with their storytelling, like the folks who are running the shows get to do what they want to do and take the characters in the direction they want to take them as long as all the powers that be approve. And it's sort of my job to come in after and go, okay, now that you've set up these parameters, how can we maybe connect some of these dots or pull some of these threads and create more story from them? But I can't take the lead on any of that stuff. I'm curious, with all of the tie-in novels and comic books and audiobooks. Is it mostly just you or do you or are people like Akiva and Terry also involved in the shaping of these stories or at least kept in the loop, as it were? They are involved in the shaping in so much as from time to time, there will be specific story questions where I will have to say, hey, this is something we're talking about doing. Is that, you know, thinking, looking ahead, is that something you think might run us into trouble? And it's a yes or a no. But in terms of the nitty gritty of developing all of these stories, that's what I do with each of the individual authors and creators, they leave it to me because they're plenty busy. Yeah. (laughs) Now this is the first audio drama. No more have been announced yet, but it sounds like there's an appetite for this. So, you know, should we expect more from any of the shows besides, you know, Picard or other shows, do you think in the future audio dramas? I think if this one does really well, the answer will be yes, but there is nothing specific in the works right now to tell you about. Um, but I hope it does. And I frankly was surprised and delighted by the response to the announcement of it and to see how huge the appetite is for it. I was thrilled. 
Basically, everyone listening to this has to go out and buy it, and then you'll get more. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. That's kind of, yeah. It's the way it works these days. Yeah, I was going to say, that's exactly how it works. And thank you in advance. <laughs> <laughs> was it just a weird coincidence that Fred provided a voice for this, uh, and he also does shacks on Lower Decks? So... Fred Tatashore um, was one of 13 people in my MFA acting class at UCLA. We grew up together. He's my daughter's godfather. He is one of my dearest, dearest friends. And quite hilariously, I found out he was going to be on Lower Decks at Comic-Con that year when the Lower (laughs) Decks panel was happening just before the Picard panel. And I ran into him on the floor later in the day and about strangled him. I'm like, how could you not tell me? that you're doing this. He was like, I didn't know. I was worried. You weren't supposed to say anything. I'm like, yeah, but me, you can tell me, you know? Um, so Fred is such a ridiculously talented human and always does such beautiful work that uh, basically anytime I would have an opportunity to work with him, I would take it. There's just some great performances. Obviously Michelle Hurd and Jerry do great, but these new actors, some of whom are new to Star Trek, but just really delivered memorable performances. Is there anything you could tell us about the production side or were you not involved in that? No, we were. Um, Mike and I both were present for most of the big um, recording sessions early on, but our fearless leader, Christina, um, did a fantastic job uh, working with them. We were sort of there in case uh, there were sort of deeper story questions that it was easier for us to answer or if we had unintentionally written something that maybe didn't quite come out of somebody's mouth quite as easily as you would like it to. So we could make quick adjustments on the fly. Um, But in terms of crafting the performances, that was almost entirely the, the brilliance of the actors themselves. And then their work with Christina, Christina Zarafinidis, who was the producer and director. of. I have a a quick question for you guys about process, just because as a writer, I'm always intrigued by people who write together. So what is your process when you're working on something like this together? We each took sections and um, mm-hmm. developed them and then we switched and then we looked over each other's stuff and made suggestions and changes and then sewed it all together. And we had, you know, cause we've written quite a few comics together now. I mean, we knew you kind of know early on if you, if you vibe with someone and you, not only that do you get along, but you have fun working on stories together. So and part of that, I think, is you're able to say anything, too. I mean, Kirsten, you and I talk about all kinds of stuff, even when we're supposed to be talking about story. Because, <laughs> yeah. And I think that I think that informs the story, right? Because we'll talk about things going on in our own lives or or um, our own past. And uh, so I think it helps, A, to have a friendship there. And B, you just kind of know if it's someone that, that you feel compatible with. And then it, it just grows from there. And I think it, I think it gets easier. But also someone you can be honest with and, you know, you can tell me if my idea is terrible and I could, uh, I would never tell you your idea is terrible, but uh, <laughs> no, but just having that honesty. But you I totally think, should. Is, is re- yeah, I, I probably have. Um, <laughs> is, is really important. So uh, yeah, it's been great. And how but, do you handle uh, conflict when you're in disagreement uh, about well, how something's supposed to go? It's always good to know who's in charge. So I, she has <laughs> That's, a, that's an interesting question, though, because when we worked on the comics, Kirsten, you hadn't done comics before, I don't right. think. I was learning. So it was sort of like I, I could say, well, that needs to be five panels or something like that. But in this, I had not written 
um, for actors. Re I'd written uh, Transformers animation, but I hadn't written for dialogue like this. And particularly, you know, Kirsten has written live action Star Trek. So she was driving this particular boat. So I think that that actually helps too, is, is if it is something where one person has more of an expertise, it's, it's the other person um, deferring. But Kirsten does, yeah, I mean, she, she made me feel like I'd been writing live action Star Trek forever. So that she, it was great, yeah. but I, it does, it does help um, I, sometimes to know who should be deferred to certainly. The greatest part of the process is always the very beginning where it's just Mike and I sitting across from each other, batting ideas around. And then we both know when something feels right. It's usually not one of us saying, well, let's go that direction and then we'll build from there. Like, yeah, we haven't had too many. I don't think uh -huh. we've had big fights. We might have like disagreements about how, not disagreements even, but just different points of view about how a scene might go or what mm -hmm. someone might say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no, no huge brawls. <laughs> I just no. jinxed us for the next project. Physical altercations, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's hard with COVID because we're doing so much remote work. You two are also collaborating on an upcoming comic book the or series, the 32nd Century series, which is going to tell us the big grudge backstory, um, which we're <laughs> excited about. Um, so, you know, can you tell us more about, you know, this series? And is it is it just going to be the four issues or is it going to keep on going? It's just four issues right now, Adventures in the 32nd Century, and each each issue spotlights a different cast member. So it starts with Grudge, and then it uh, focuses on Adira, and then Detmer, and then Linus. The art is coming in for Linus. We get to see baby Linus, which is incredible. <laughs> so those are really just sort of like nice little bites uh, of character that the show hasn't really had time to do, which is one of the reasons ancillary stuff is so great. I hope we can do more. You know, we're talking about other tie-in comics uh, that we'll be working on this year, but I would love to revisit. I think once the series comes out and we see the reaction, I'm really hoping we get to revisit a couple of the um, stories uh, and settings from this. Yeah, I'm really excited for people to see it. It's, I think it's it's the most fun I've had working on um, a Trek comic, I think. Yeah. We take a lighter. There are different different tones within the, like the grudge one is not a big serious drama. It might be from grudge's <laughs> point of view, sure. but it's just a lighter touch. And this, this, so this series is an opportunity to have a little bit more fun. Before we wrap up, since we've got you here, Kirsten, what can you spoil about season two of Picard? What can you tell us? You know, what's your general vibe, anything you can say about season two? I think season two continues what we've been exploring with the Picard character from the very beginning. Uh, which is the idea of how does our past uh, impact our present and our possible future? It feels like in season one, there were, you know, fairly recent, but 20 year old sort of things that he needed to deal with. And um, season two takes us even deeper and farther back in a way that allows us to just go deeper into the Picard character. Let me ask you guys something. If you, when it's time for that next audio drama, if they gave you your choice of which characters, like legacy or current, you would really like to do something with in that format, is there a character or characters who come to mind that you'd really like to play with? Well, I'm a TNG baby. So, you know, if I could work with Spiner and Michael Dorn and, you know, an adventure with those two, like, 
a buddy cop movie with Data and Worf. I think <laughs> that would be pretty great. Kirsten, how about you? I mean, it's so hard for me because I'm playing with so many dolls right now in so many different places that um, it's not a matter of anybody I'm not getting to, you know, haven't gotten to work with or play with or think about so much. There's just too many to, to make that kind of a call. I think more than specific characters, um, the next sort of story that I would want to tell in this kind of a, a format would come much more from a dynamic between characters, a relationship between characters that feels like it could be well served in this kind of a story, because that's one of the harder things. I think one of the harder things to find. Um, there's a lot of action and adventure that is very hard to do in this, in this format because you're not, you don't have your eyes. Right. So um so it would be looking for two or three characters who had something serious that they needed to work out by, you know, not just adventure, but by talking to each other, you know, and that, and yet whatever the conflict is that can sustain for that period of time, that's the, that's what you're really looking for. As you've said, there's five shows going on. There must be some kind of like horse trading or something like, we're doing something with Janeway. You're doing something with the Borg. Like there must be, is that going on? We're like, no, 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 don't, you know, don't play with Tuvok. We're going to do this thing with Tuvok, you know, is, or is it yeah. just the wild West? No, no, not at all. Um, in fact, I think Alex addressed that question uh, recently at the TCAs when he was talking about the fact that they have regular showrunner meetings where everybody can sit down together and say, this is where we're going. And anybody who has something that might, you know, impact that can raise their hand and say, Hey guys, well, what are we, you know, and they all work it out amongst themselves. Well, I'm, I think that's all I've got. Um, unless there's something you want to talk about the book that we haven't brought up. No. Just that we're really excited for people to hear it. And thanks yeah. in advance to everybody who. Yeah. And I'm glad you guys it. seem to like it. Yeah. Anything that can get me to listen to an audiobook, Like I'm not like Tony. I'm really, you know, I like to read my books on paper and I like to watch TV and those are my separate things. And this one, I was just, I listened, I'd set aside time to listen to it. I went well past that time to keep listening. <laughs> so it, it hooked me. I mean, I'm a huge Michelle Hurd fan, so that oh. didn't hurt. But um, it was, I just, I didn't want to stop listening to it. This is, I mean, I know this sounds, this sounds like a lame compliment, but I listen to it at normal speed. And <laughs> if, if you are a audiobook pro like me where you listen to like one a week you don't listen to anything at normal speed you listen to everything sped up so but i i i, I got the pure experience from this so that's there you awesome go. that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> all right so that wraps up our interview with kirsten and mike and our review of star trek picard no man's land the audio drama we will be back of course on friday as we always are we're gonna have news and we'll be reviewing the newest episode of star trek discovery thanks for joining us